0: Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Our director of the Chancel Choir, Glenn Delang, is ill today, and so we welcome Ron Keane here. Ron, thank you for that beautiful anthem and for your direction and for stepping in. Here I am, Lord. That anthem captures beautifully the text that I'm about to read from 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's known as a call narrative. There are so many people throughout the biblical material and throughout the centuries who have felt and sensed that God was calling them, ordinary though they are, to something extraordinary. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from 1 Samuel. And then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, lie down again. So he went and he lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I call you, my son, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you've called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty and gracious God, you who speak and creation comes into existence, you who call and people find their own voice, we come before you and ask that now you would quiet within us any voice but your own, that we might hear your word. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Perhaps you've heard the phrase continuous partial attention. It's even got an acronym, CPA. It's the process of paying simultaneous attention to a number of sources of incoming information, but only on a superficial level. The term was coined by Linda Stone back in 1998. It drives my wife for example crazy when I'm watching television with the remote control and I toggle between different sporting events during the commercials. First there's a basketball game and then it's golf and then it's off to football. Author Stephen Johnson describes this as a kind of multitasking. He quote, it usually involves skimming the surface of the incoming data picking out the relevant details and then moving on to the next stream. You're paying attention, but only partially. That lets you cast a wider net, but it also runs the risk of keeping you from really studying the fish. End quote. We've all heard the description of our era of life as the information age, being exposed to huge amounts of information and data regularly. The Internet has enhanced our ability and accessibility to information, offering real-time connectivity and accessibility to tons of information which may disrupt our daily lives. For this reason, the term the information age has come to be known as the age of interruption. Characterized by an overabundance of information, people are constantly interrupted. Emails, spam, Facebook, tweets, instant messaging, cell phones. It means that attention is a scarce commodity today. Have you ever been with somebody who's constantly checking their phone while you're having lunch or dinner, makes you feel like you're simply not interesting enough to actually command their attention for any length of time? Now, Linda Stone has clarified that continuous partial attention is not the same thing as multitasking. You see, multitasking is driven by this conscious desire to actually be productive and efficient, whereas continuous partial attention is an automatic process. It's motivated by a desire to be a live presence on the network of things. It's driven by this willingness to connect and stay connected, scanning the best opportunities, activities, and context in an effort to simply not miss anything that's going on. The state of continuous partial attention can be functional, but it leads to higher levels of stress in the brain. It prohibits reflection, contemplation, and thoughtful decision-making. It also dilutes our efforts to focus and Concentrate on the present moment. This constant connectedness affects our real time relationships. It lowers our productivity level. It leads to overstimulation and lack of fulfillment. Now, I'm suspecting at this point in my sermon that I've probably lost a number of you to your shopping list or your afternoon plans. Because we live in this constant state of continuous partial attention. Well, the age of interruption is apparently not all that new. Even in biblical times, in order to get people's attention, God had to interrupt them in what they were up to. Now, Granted, people we were probably more aware of their surroundings in those days, a little more attentive to the weather perhaps. Perhaps they had more opportunity to think deeply about things and were less distracted. Today, my little Fitbit that I got for Christmas, I told you about a few days ago, it reminds me hourly how many steps I'm supposed to be taking while I'm trying to read and think deeply about things. Just last night, I heard a story about people who actually take their Fitbit and put it on the ceiling fan just to get activity and keep it from bothering them. So I guess the question this morning is, what would it take for God to get your attention? As you skim the surface of all the incoming data that we deal with today, you pick out the relevant details and move on to the next thing. Do you ever look for incoming data from the Lord? I mean, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and you will receive, search and you will find. Are any of us really interested enough in what God may have to say to put down our smartphones and pray. We seem to be overstimulated, and yet we lack fulfillment. Maybe there's a better way. Now Samuel was a young man on a meteoric rise in matters of faith and worship and life. He had all the fundamentals, and he was about to displace Eli as God's representative, we talk about transitions as we are in the coming weeks. Here is a huge transition. Like many others, Samuel started out rather naive and innocent as a child. In the story today, he kept hearing someone talking to him as he was sleeping, and he wrongly assumes it's Eli. Eli finally realizes what's going on, instructs him to listen, and next time he invites God to speak. Now, sometimes the Lord is trying to get our attention at the only time that we're not really that distracted, just in that place between sleeping and waking when our subconscious minds are most available. I mean, if you're anything like me, it's at night where I find myself stewing about things, turning things over and over, looking for some insight, some vision from God. Now, Eli was being replaced for cause. His sons were complete jerks, according to the biblical narrative, religious phonies who use their position in their father's employ for self-seeking and personal reward. The Bible calls them scoundrels, with no regard for the Lord or for the duties of the priests to the people. Samuel, by contrast, was pure inside and out. His mother, Hannah, had prayed for a child, and when she had Samuel, she was so grateful to the Lord that she gave him to the temple to be raised as a servant of the Lord all his days. That's why he was sleeping there. Now the backstory is kind of interesting, but what interests me today is that all this preparation, the belief that God can and will act, that it's worth our while to invest our lives in this gospel, the obedience that's demonstrated by Samuel and his mother Hannah All of it comes down to this exchange, this reversal, this replacement of Eli with Samuel. The succession of Samuel over Eli illustrates the point that others have said in this phrase, God chooses the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. Rarely does God choose based upon the same criteria we might use. You might be the most unlikely person for some task that God has laid on your heart. Some task that seems remarkably impossible. But if that's the case, you're at least in good company. The story of faith is filled with people just like you who God has called to some impossible task out of their ordinariness. What is the Lord calling you to today? What is it that in that period between waking and sleeping you find your heart turning over and over and over again? Now Samuel would later choose the future king of Israel. But even his confusion becomes evident when he thinks that the son of Jesse that looks like the star football team guy must be the one that God wants. And then soon he discovers that, no, it's little David, it's the runt of the litter who actually is the one with the greatest heart, and the greatest courage because he has the greatest faith. Even Samuel would rely too heavily upon the superficial rather than the substantive. Surely God led him to Jesse's family because the tallest and the eldest and the strongest son, Eliab, was to become the next leader. And the ironic twist is that God chooses the son who isn't even there. All seven of the other brothers are paraded in front of the prophet, but the one chosen by God was not even among them. Little David, the youngest, still out there in the field shepherding the flock, was about to be anointed by Samuel as the leader of the people as the one who was able to bring the 12 tribes of Israel together in one unified kingdom. You cannot judge by the outward appearance of things. Many coaches have underestimated their opponents by misjudging the appearance of the other players rather than their effectiveness and their ability to work as a team. How many employers have overestimated the capability of some applicant because they were tall or good-looking? How many brides and grooms have misjudged their future spouses by too much attention to external qualities, too little attention to inner qualities? You simply cannot judge by the outward appearance of things. But to avoid the much more time-consuming and difficult process of Actual careful analysis, we always use snap judgments of others and preconceived categories, even prejudices, to size people up. Studies show we tend to think more highly of physically attractive people than perhaps we should. Knowing that it's human to judge by outward appearances, especially in this age in which we live. Politicians are careful to portray themselves as vibrant and strong with a good sense of humor, yet firm and resolute. And, of course, their makeup artists make an indelible impression on all of us. But politicians are not alone. We size people up superficially based upon race and ethnicity. We make snap judgments that are often wrong. So I think when the Bible talks about this period when the word of the Lord is rare and visions are not widespread, that might be a description of our time too. But those who cultivate the ability to listen can still hear a word from the Lord. For God is still speaking. And those who believe it's worth their time, it's worth their effort to listen for God, still find and receive guidance and direction and comfort and strength, correction, renewal, even challenge. Are you listening? Are you more confident today and going into this year because of your faith? Are you more generous in the way that you live out your life because of your faith? Are you engaged in the world trying to make a difference because of your faith? And do you believe that the Lord is still capable of bringing about a change in the way things are? For the sake of the way things should be and can be. So all of God's children might find life and fulfillment and opportunity. On this weekend, the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, we can certainly remember that he believed he was on a mission from God called out, sent out, with a word from the Lord. His father was a preacher. It must have been both gratifying for his father and difficult to watch his son's meteoric rise to national stardom in the civil rights movement of the 50s and the 60s. Martin Luther King Jr. believed in the gospel of Christ that God still intended to change things, still intends to improve the lives of people, regardless of their color or race. He believed that modernity had made the world smaller and that we now were all neighbors. But we needed to learn how to be brothers and sisters together. And he believed in the Constitution of the United States when it says all are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among them the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Martin Luther King Jr. stood on these two pillars, the foundational and the timeless truths of the Bible, and those truths codified in our U.S. Constitution. He believed like Samuel, and he listened for a different dream, for God's dream for the future. Both Samuel and Martin Luther King Jr. permitted their dream from God to override the realities they experienced in their lives, in their nations, and in their communities. There's a chance for newness. God is doing a new thing, but it requires us, just as it did Hannah and Samuel and Martin Luther King Jr., it requires us to dare to believe in this vision that God has for the future. It requires us to resolve ahead of time that we're going to be obedient to it, And that we will become available for it, even though it's demanding, and even though sometimes that new beginning is even dangerous. Andrew Carnegie once said, people are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be removed to get at an ounce of gold. But one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. One goes looking for gold. The Lord seems intent upon mining the human heart for gold. Well, what is found in our hearts this morning? Have we uncovered any gold, or are we still just shoveling dirt? God spoke, and God kept speaking several times before he finally got through to Samuel. And I can't help but wonder how many times God has tried to speak to me. How often has the Lord tried to confront something in me, or tried to change my mind or direction, or offered some comfort and support but I was unwilling or for some reason unable to tune into it. Maybe God is calling you to some new undertaking. Maybe God is calling you to bring faith, hope, and love into the life of somebody you know. Or maybe God is calling you to stand up for what you believe in in some situation that keeps going from bad to worse. Or maybe the Lord is just kind of tapping you on the shoulder and inviting you to slow down and limit the distractions that occupy you from dawn to dusk every day. Inviting you to listen for a better way of living with a greater sense of purpose, with a greater sense of fulfillment. For centuries, God's people have listened to the Lord daily through reading of Scripture and prayer. And it's remarkable when you sit down and do this, how these words come to life in your own life. They offer a changed perspective. They give new insight. And you can appropriate those insights into your life through your prayer life. So ask the Lord. To unearth some gold in your own life amidst the distractions of living. By setting aside some time to listen for God's invitation. To believe in God's vision for your future. Because that will always include a better future for others too. Make yourself available as Samuel did and you might just begin with an open heart and a willingness to respond and you might simply say, Lord, speak. For your servant is listening. God always calls the unqualified to do the impossible. Apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. But with the Lord... All things are possible. Thanks be to God. Amen.